Alright, welcome back everybody. This week we're going to start by talking about Rory McIlroy and the way he absolutely dominated the U.S. Open, like basically to a point where no one has ever seen before. Except that one guy we all know about, Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of him. He's pretty good. He is pretty well, good. Yeah, but the, pro get, the problem is right people, everybody else seems to forget. Yeah, I mean, this the only Open that this resembled in my life that I can remember was the 2000 at Pebble, Pebble Beach, and everyone's talking about how how similar they really were. So what do you guys think? Were they that similar? Who was better? I mean, he did break, McIlroy did break Tiger's record by four strokes. So I think you'd have to put McIlroy's around in front of uh, Tiger's. I think but the overall, the overall tournament itself was not as hard or the competition was not there compared to what Tiger faced. And the, the simple fact that nobody was on the ball when Tiger was there, when Tiger played at Pebble Beach. Nobody. And Tiger finished, what, 15? Tiger was 12 under. 12 under in 2000. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the 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 person that came in second place was three three over par. So yeah, it's like it's not even close. Nobody was on the par, so you, I don't even think you should even be comparing the two. I think people people seem to forget that, and people seem to have some type of amnesia when it comes to Tiger. I guess they they really want to to sweep him to the side really really badly right now, considering what happened. But you can't you can't just uh, sweep greatness to the side like that and try to compare it with something else that's not even close. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think anyone could take away from what McElroy just did. He dominated. He played awesome. I mean, he's an up-and-coming star. He still yes. won by eight strokes. He was 16 under to finish the four rounds. That was great. But for sure, to me, it's the second best open finish I've ever seen. Because, like you said, if you finish 15 strokes ahead, McElroy was eight strokes ahead. That's almost double the difference from one to two. And that's just from two. I mean, you a lot of times in the open, you don't see guys shooting eight under, six under, five under. I mean, everyone seemed to play really well at Congressional this time around. And again, that shouldn't take anything away from McElroy. But the fact that Tiger did it when no one else could even break par. Four rounds, they couldn't break par, and he was 12 under. I, I don't but, see how it even compares. Yeah, I feel like now, uh, like, you know, presently, there's a lot of, like, newer golfers coming into the league, and I think, I don't know if Tiger faced as much competition as Rory McIlroy is facing right now. And you look at Jason Day, who finished, second time he's finished, he finished second in the Masters this past weekend, so but the competition's getting a lot better. It's hard to compare when they're different years. I mean, it's an 11-year difference, so obviously there's going to be some differences. You can't go stroke for stroke and say who was necessarily better. So, yeah. I guess you, your think... argument is right about that, that all the people playing are mostly different in, a, in an 11-year gap. But the fact that Tiger was the only one that could excel that much, and this time other people were able to excel, I mean, it would have been the third best finish of all time had had Day won the tournament. Say McElroy never entered, and Day won at 8-under, that would still be the, second, the third best U.S. Open finish of all time. So at that point, I, it, I have to say that he was the best out of a lot of great players, whereas Tiger was the best, and he stood alone. Yeah, and the fact that people are bringing up the whole idea of like the the competition is better with, with that McElroy faced, it's not. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that it's just that the competition has evened out a little bit. No golfer right now is is great in my mind, and no golfer right now is great to the level where you could say that McElroy is better than way better than most of these guys out there right now. He's young and he's an upcoming talent. Of course, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that away from him. 
But to say that the talent is better and Tiger didn't face anybody, I don't think so. Tiger still faced Phil Nicholson in his uh, over over how long? Decades, a decade now. And Phil Nicholson is considered a great golfer himself. And there was a lot of great golfers back then that Tiger was facing that Tiger basically made everybody forget about. So the competition was always there for Tiger. And he managed to do what he did. I agree. I think there's always going to be great golfers, for sure. And everyone has competition. It's tough to compare down to X's and O's how many great players there were in each time. But like you said, McElroy is up and coming, for sure. I mean, I heard uh, Jack Nicholas say that he ha McElroy has the best golf swing he's ever seen. And coming from him, who's considered the best golfer of all time, and Tiger's chasing his heels, I... I think that is that's something to be said. I mean, he he should feel really good about himself moving forward. And I've also yeah. heard other people say that McElroy is just built for majors. I mean, he has that nice long drive. He's he's got it all really. There's nothing he lacks. And when everyone comes out to play at their hardest, he's gonna shine. Yeah, I heard. I also heard that too. But I'm not sure what what exactly that means. Considering when you think about it in terms of what Tiger, like Tiger swing. I guess Tiger swing gets um criticized a lot because of the, the amount of times he changed his swing and all those type of things. But I remember when when Tiger was at his prime at his highest, people were always saying he has the greatest swing they've ever seen. But later on in his career, the more that the golf purists thought that he was like affecting the sport in a negative way, I guess, all of a sudden his swing wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? So people yeah. always find a way to, 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 to bring things down or put things higher than that, that fits their whole idea of what they want the sport to look like. They want McElroy to be the guy right now, and I understand that. And he's shown that he may, maybe he can, but I think it's a little too soon to be giving him that much praise. Well, look, I think when you're winning in any sport, people are going to love you and praise you. And when you're losing, you're going to get bashed, just the way LeBron does now. But when Jordan was winning, he was the best. And, you know, it's, it's just a matter of getting it done. And people are going to love McElroy until he loses. I, I can imagine Tiger Woods talking to him and saying, I can't wait until you lose three tournaments in a row and you start doubting your swing the way I did. Because then once McElroy changes his swing, people are going to have a totally different outlook. Because you, you can't imagine this 22-year-old kid is going to go out and win every major for the rest of his career. He's going to struggle at some point. I saw an interview on SportsCenter the other day where he talked about all the pressure that he has like with people's, you know, with all these high expectations of him. It, it should be interesting to see how he handles the pressure and... Yeah, the longer Tiger, the longer Tiger is out, the the more the pressure will be for him to to, to carry the sport, basically. And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. imagine, imagine when Tiger, if Tiger ever comes back to form, that pressure is gonna come from a, the number one golfer in the world when Tiger, yeah. if Tiger gets back to that form again. So how is he gonna handle the pressure of having Tiger stare him down, maybe on the 18th green one day? You know what I mean? No, I agree, and I can't wait for that time if it ever comes. I mean, on a Sunday with the two of them pairing off, that would just be. Awesome for the sport, awesome for ratings, awesome for fans, awesome for them. It would just be great. It would just be unreal. Yeah, I mean, the competition, it doesn't really get any better than that. You could tell they both really want to win. Nobody wants to win more than Tiger does, regardless of how his swing is now or what. Come Sunday, he's ready to play, always. And you could tell, and I could tell that McElroy is like, he's extremely, he's, he's a mentally tough guy. So, oh, yeah. he'll be, I think he'll be prepared for it, and I think he wants to be great. So, I don't know how... I don't expect him to fall under the pressure because we've seen what happened that last major when he basically had had it won, and yeah. then he kind of faltered at the in the in the in the last round. So he came back and did what he did now. So I, he showed himself to be mentally tough. Let's just see how he handles it from now on. Oh yeah, if you if you can come off that colossal meltdown at the Masters, which is probably the biggest tournament of the year, and then come back and do what he did, you know 
he's ready mentally. He might be 22 years old, but he's mature enough, and he knows he's confident, and he can get it done. And I kind of, it kind of reminds me of Tiger when he was dominating. I mean, he knew he could go out every second or third tournament and win no matter what, and nobody could stop him. Yeah, I kind of noticed that too. There's a certain confidence about him when he's walking down. Like he reminds me of Tiger in that sense. Like he's he seems like a extremely confident guy. So I don't think his confidence will be shattered by by one round or one tournament. So that that probably won't change, and he probably need that for the next couple of years to come. How do you think? How do you guys think uh, McIlroy's? You know, being from Europe, how do how do you think that affects his popularity in the U.S. And do you think it makes him less popular than if he was I think a U.S. player? Yeah, I hear what you're trying to say, but I think it kind of took a back seat thanks to the fact that golf doesn't really have a poster boy now that Tiger went down and he's not playing. So golf was like desperately looking for someone to take the reins and he he did exactly that. He went up and he it seems like he wants to be the guy almost. Well, or whether he does want to or doesn't, he is the guy now after what he did. Everyone loved watching him play at Congressional. And now they're going to look forward and expect him to play great, and that's how I think it's going to change. I don't, th I don't know if it necessarily has to do with the fact that he's not American, because of the way he came on the scene, and it's too late for any of that. I feel like he's already skyrocketed in popularity. Yeah, I think the fact that he's so young helps his popularity, in, like with the fans outside of golf, that the people that don't usually the same fans that Tiger bought, and I think it helps with that. But in the sense of like mainstream popularity where he's going to be in commercials. The fact that he's not American like doesn't help that at all. And I think it's the same the same thing we might we might see with somebody like Dirk Nowitzki. He could be the greatest champion or, or whatever it might be, but Americans reward Americans for some reason. I don't know. But they don't the popularity will never be to the level where you might compare him to other greats. You know what I mean? Cuz Americans just I think it's just a sense that he's not American. And as much as he, as great as he might be one day, he might need to be do exactly what Tiger did to get to that level of popularity. And I don't think he'll do that. So I don't think his popularity will ever reach that high. I guess we kind of have to wait and see. I mean, you can't judge him on one tournament. Obviously, just like Dirk, like you said, people started talking about how he's one of the best players of all time after he won the ring. But his popularity will, will never be like a person like Kobe or, or LeBron James or, right. or an American-born player. It'll fade after he loses a couple tournaments and people won't feel that attachment anymore necessarily to him, whereas Tiger, it always kind of stayed because they would root him on. But like you said, I think it helps that McElroy's so young. Everyone likes yeah. to watch a 22-year-old go out and dominate all these 30-year-olds and, and yeah, show definitely. how much better he really is. I think it, it's definitely on his side, and he already has that positive view now, so he would have to do something to lose that popularity, I think, already. He seems very, uh, very humble, too. He talks, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, in all his interviews, he says all the right things. I mean, I'm 22 years old. I know I, I would be terrified if they were interviewing me on the 18th green on, the, on like, day two with the lead <laughs> I had. But it looked like he was cool as a cucumber, you know. He was ready to go. He just wanted yeah, to play. He seems like he's built for it, I guess. So we'll see moving forward what happens with him. And, and I'm really hoping Tiger comes back. Tiger said he's not playing at AT&T uh, the next coming tournament. He already bowed out of that, which is not that much of a surprise. But then we come to the British Open, and it, it's up in the air whether he'll play there. But McElroy said that he's not going to play until the British Open. He's taking some I mean, tournaments off. Imagine what could happen if they both come in there fresh, practiced, ready to go, and, and that could be the first time we see them square up. Yeah, and I don't think Tiger will miss two majors. He can't afford to if he's trying to break that, that record. 
I agree with that. I mean, it's all a matter of the knee, I guess. If if it's ready to go, I heard four to six weeks is his uh, diagnosis. The most recent one I heard for the knee. Well, who knows what where that's coming from or if it's accurate, but yeah, if that's true, that'll put him right around the time where the British will start. Yeah, that seems to be cutting it pretty close. But we've seen Tiger get out there injured and play before. I mean, this time you would hope that he would wait until he's 100% so he could get back on track and consistently play. But I think now that McElroy stole a little bit of his thunder, he's going to want to get back out there and get it back. And to, and to be honest with you, this might be a good thing for Tiger that McElroy is like taking over the, the golf spotlight, so to speak, right now. Because mm -hmm. I think Tiger might need that little rest, that little break from the media to kind of get everything together and get his knee back. And people like it won't be that much pressure for him to get back out there as much as it was before. Before they had that golden boy, Macro, you know what I mean? Yeah, some of the cameras will be off him a little bit. And, uh, yeah, you're right, it might help. It'll be the first time cameras are off of Tiger in years. So we'll see what happens with that moving forward. I mean, I, I just can't wait to see what happens. It, we've created a great storyline here. So it could be an epic matchup for this man, too. Yeah, for, for years to come, too. Yeah, because Tiger's around, what, 36, 35, so he has a lot of golf yeah, left. Yeah, I mean, you play till you're 50 in the tour, so especially a guy like Tiger, if he could stay healthy, and McElroy's got almost 30 years to go, I mean... I kind of heard something that was interesting, because people were saying how a Tiger might be 36, but he's an old 36, you know, like they said in, in football, how you're old 26, or whatever the case. Yeah. he's He might be too, like, his body might be close to 40-something. Considering all the injuries he's had, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he it might not be a little bit. Exactly. So, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I just hope he can get back on track for the sake of the sport. All right. So, moving forward from golf to baseball, we had this, this tragedy happen in San Francisco Giants fan in the game against the Dodgers. He got jumped. He was beat up. He was in critical condition for over a month. And uh, just yesterday, he was, he was raised up to serious condition, which is better than critical, so he's improving. That's great. But the main suspect in the trial just went back to jail for 10 months for a violation of his parole. So that's good. They found the guy who got him. Everything's good. So, so this is going to spark a change, probably, in the security that we see at, at sports games because this can't happen. It was terrible for baseball. I mean, you'd never want a fan to get injured just going to watch a game. What You'd never want a player to get injured on the field, let alone a fan. It just can't happen. So maybe we're going to see some kind of change happen here. Oh, one thing I wanted to know before that was that exactly, like, was it just, did he get jumped, right? So it must, have been, it must have been a lot more than one person. Why is this just one person that we're talking about? I think it was I, more than It's hard to say since nobody was there, and there's obviously no video evidence or anything like that that we would be able to see. But... It, it must have been, it's usually mainly one person okay. in, in these kind of situations. And there might have been more than one, but the main guy they've been locating has finally, they, they know who he is and he's in jail right now. Well, I guess, I, guess the, the, I guess that speaks to the whole, the larger problem in sports. I guess it's just like people being intoxicated in the stadiums, you know, especially yeah. in baseball games where you're being served beer. I guess, I know you can't, you can't, you're not allowed to after, what is it, seventh inning? Right, yeah, they but, stopped serving at the seventh. But still, if you're intoxicated, you're still intoxicated, you know what I mean? So I think that's a larger problem that they might have to address before we even think about fan security because the fans are doing that to themselves. It and might I mean, be a larger problem with, with alcohol. If it's going to be fan on fan, there it seems like there's not that much they can do about it. They can have police everywhere, basically. But if a fight breaks out in the stands, it's going to take a little while for the police to get there and break it up, and by then it might be too late. So I, I think you might be right. This kind of thing probably doesn't happen unless these guys are drunk. Definitely. I mean, I don't care. I don't care what happened during the game, what the person said. 
alcohol seems to, well, I would know, of course, alcohol escalates things a little bit. So I think it's just better if you just keep it out of the stadiums because you still, you still got kids there and things like that watching these games. It's not just adults in the, in the stadiums. So. I feel like they're not going to do that, though. I mean, it, you know, because of, I mean, it does bring in a lot of money. I mean, they ch- charge like $8 a beer for some stadiums. You see, that's yeah. exactly the thing, though. Baseball has, to, baseball has to make a decision. You can't just say you want fan security but allowing people to drink. That, that you know what's going to happen when people get drunk. So you got to yeah, make a decision. Exactly. Choose choose one. Yeah, but I know how professional sports are, and they're trying to make that money. If they can sell, I mean, I can't even imagine how many beers they sell during a game at 9 bucks a pop. That That's bringing in a ton, a ton of money. Not to mention, people want to drink when they go to games. A, a lot of people want to. And there would be uproars if a stadium decided they're not going to serve alcohol anymore. I mean, as sad as it is, people might not go to the games as often. Well. You think it'd go that far? In football, there's a lot of drinking going on in football, especially when it's cold. People people are always drinking throughout the whole game, and it's just it's almost become a part of the game for the fans, which is sad. Yeah. It shouldn't have to be that way, but it's come too far for them to say. I think it started with, I can't imagine they always didn't serve beer after the seventh inning. That had to have started at some point. Probably but, because of some incident I'm not sure about. but I'm not sure either. But for driving home, so... You're right. in a car like right after. I think they want it. Yeah. Right, and th- and that's another thing. I mean, realistically, yeah, you could give them the seventh. You could stop serving after the seventh, but there's only two innings after that, and people are still going to get into their cars and drive home. It's almost like a, it's like a cop out. It's like yeah, they're they could say they're doing something, but realistically, yeah, it's not, not making that much impact. Exactly. I mean, they're still trying to make their money, and if you know you're going to get your money by selling alcohol to fans, you're gonna. I guess you're going to continue doing that. I guess you say it to the to the. To the media, oh yeah, what we're doing, we're doing everything we need to do to to make sure that doesn't happen again. But if you are, then you would stop selling selling alcohol. Basically, it. Yeah, if you realize that it's a problem and you've already done something about it, as in cutting out two innings of selling, why wouldn't? I mean, what this kind of incident should show you that they should move forward with it. Whether that means and uh, move it back to only selling through the first five innings or what, just getting rid of it altogether. I mean, maybe they'll have to wean fans off of it. But that they, it seems like they have to do something. But aside from the alcohol, I mean, maybe if they just, what if they doubled the amount of police that they had in the stadiums? I mean, they're going to lose money there, but they're going to lose money either way for some point. So maybe if I mean, you have how, more people there to, to patrol, maybe these kind of things wouldn't happen either. How, how, many, how many incidents like this happen? I know there's a lot of fights that break out of ball games and stuff, but how many serious incidents are there? Well, I can't remember that many, but this is this was a terrible one. This guy almost died from, from these injuries, and they cannot have a fan die at a game. Even if it's one time, it doesn't matter. They just can't have that happen. Yeah, I kind of, the, I agree with both of you, but I kind of go along with, because um, the fact is, as much as people talk about this now, it's only, it hasn't happened that much. I guess, I guess in, in sports, I guess in the media, mainly baseball, it, people kind of, overreact a little bit more than they should. I understand he's in a coma, but maybe, just maybe, it's not it's not that big of a problem as it might seem. You know what I mean? Because well, it's the whole idea. It's the whole idea of the of, of, of San Francisco catcher being run over at the home plate. Yes, it's a bad situation. You 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 don't want it to happen. But is it that big of a problem that you need to change completely everything? The beer situation. I'm not going to change my mind on that yet. That needs to change because that that might lead to a lot more bigger problems than it. Than, than all the money you're bringing in, but I don't think you need to drastically change things because it doesn't happen as often as people think it does. Yeah, but but if it were to happen again at another stadium, 
then fans are going to look back and say, why didn't you do anything about it the first time? Yeah, and true. It seems like almost they can't win either way because they're going to lose something. But I know if this was to happen in a worse way the next time, and it, it, say it was this season, say it happened at Yankee Stadium this season in, in one of the biggest markets during a big game, it's going to be bad for the league. They just might need to invest in more security in the stadium and outside the stadiums, I guess. Right. I mean, they can only do so much, like you said. Fights break out. I've never been to a game where you don't see a fight break out. Yeah. But, I mean, to this extent, that's, that's just too much. But you barely see any sober people fighting, <laughs> you know. That's so. absolutely true also. So I think it's a, it's a solid combination of the two things. But they should really sit down, whether it's now or whether it's in the off season. And they've got to figure something out to at least make a step forward. Yeah, definitely. Because this, it's terrible. I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to have to hear about it. I don't, it shouldn't happen. I don't want to go to a game and fear that something could happen. I mean, that's terrible. It's terrible for fans, for the league, for everybody. And the league doesn't want that kind of publicity. So oh. I'm pretty sure that they're trying to find some way to kind of, and I don't know if the family, because you know everybody sues nowadays. So I don't know if the family yeah. decided to do that, take that route. But if that continues to happen, people don't want to lose money. The owners don't want to lose money from being sued all the time. So, I don't know, maybe that might cause them to change some things, but who knows. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but it takes a lot of times it takes them losing money to realize what's actually going on. That's what makes them change a lot of the times. Like you said with the beer thing, I mean, they wouldn't want to do it solely because they would lose so much money. They don't. It seems like they don't care that much if people are drunk or if they're not. But once money starts yeah. coming out of their pockets, everything changes. Wasn't there a fan who died last year? Who uh, oh, they like fell from the top deck? Yeah, they were like leaning over. That was upsetting. Oh, okay, yeah. I feel like that could change too. I mean, like and he was drinking so too. For, it's so easy for fans to just reach over, and it's a long way down, and there's no like. I feel like the railing should be a little bit high, higher. You're in the upper deck. Yeah, I'm kind of do something. About I'm kind of surprised that, that hasn't happened more. Yeah, me too. Especially with the alcohol, because people yeah, do definitely. stupid things. These stadiums are just built in a certain way that it, it allows people a little bit to get too close. You know what I mean? Like I guess people want to want to feel close to the players and things like that. In in any sport, they want to feel close to the players and the players that they're watching. But at some point, security comes first. So you got to build it in a certain way that people feel people are safe, no matter if they're drunk or not. Because if you allow them to drink, if you allow them to drink, then accidents like that are going to continue to happen. Well, let's move on to a little bit of brighter note for baseball. Let's let's talk about the season overall. Right now, the American League seems to be have more dominant teams than the National League does. I mean, I think that's pretty evident. And the only national team that's dominant to me is the Phillies because that pitching rotation that they have. There are some other good teams, but the AL seems to have a lock on more dominance than the NL. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I guess that's it's always been the case if you look at NL league play and things like that. Yeah. Well. They've also been talking about realignment recently. I don't know if you guys have heard much about this, but they want to move, they want to change everything so that there's 15 teams in each league. Right now it's unbalanced. So if there were 15 teams in each league, they want to get rid of divisions. They want to make it almost more like the NBA in that the top teams, regardless of division, make the playoffs. So, so that could help. A bad idea. That might help balance out the leagues a little bit. But what that would do, which has caused a little bit of controversy, if there's 15 teams in each league, that means every single time that teams have a series, there's going to have to be one interleague game, one interleague series always going on because 15 and 15 just doesn't work. So you're going to have to pair 14 and 14, and then those one extra teams will have to square off, and there's going to be interleague throughout the entire season. So some people really don't like that. Yeah, that is true. I didn't think about that part of it. 
That's definitely interesting. I mean, I feel like the difference between the DH positions a huge advantage for the American League. I guess so. I have a feeling they would have to almost get rid of the... They would have to input a DH in the National League if they were to do this realignment or else. I don't know who has the who has an advantage if there's any when an American League goes to a National Park or a National League goes to an American Park, but it, it just can't be... It's unfair one way or another. So they're going to have to balance the field if they decide to have interleague play throughout the entire year. Why not just get rid of, well, I'm not, I know, I know this is not a solution, but why not just get rid of the, the DH position? Well, well, I could agree with that and, and just make the pitchers hit all around, you mean? Yeah, like, so, wow, I, I understand why, because they, they're, all, they're all baseball players at some point, you know what I mean? I understand you've been a pitcher for a while, but I don't think you should be exempt from hitting the ball. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it would be better to get rid of the DH than to add a DH to the National League. It's just the way the game should be played, it seems like. Yeah. I think and they're all athletes at the end of the day, so it just, you know. Yeah, it strikes me as kind of pathetic that these pitchers can't even hit over 100 batting average. But, but <laughs> at least through high school, I mean, maybe in college they didn't hit anymore, but through high school, everyone's hitting. I think, it's the, I think it's the fact that the, the pitchers are getting paid so much money, and their arms are like, a lot of franchises are built on these arms, you know, and I guess you don't want to lose that. It's just like the quarterback. You don't want the quarterbacks to get to getting hit in football. So I guess that's the that's the mentality when it comes to that. But I don't know. I guess well they're all athletes at the end of the day. So and it gives it gives the American League an advantage that they, sh they shouldn't have. But at the same time, I guess they, the 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 National League is known for their pitchers. So maybe that should be you know that's the the balance that the way it balances itself out. Yeah, unfortunately, what we're talking about is completely unrealistic because in in the eyes of a league they're way more apt to add the DH to the NL than to get rid of it altogether. Yeah, you might be right. Because they want to see teams hit the ball. People like to see home runs, and DHs bring that. And it brings in viewers, which brings in money, and they are gonna they would easily, easily rather have a DH in the NL. So yeah, if you're going to keep it if you're gonna keep it that way, then you, you might as well just scrap any league play then. Right. Well, that, that's another thing. So you could do that the way it is now. You could scrap interleague play. But why they want to do realignment is because some teams, some divisions have six teams, some have four, some have five, and it just doesn't it doesn't really correlate. Also, take the AL East for example. I mean, say the Yankees and the Red Sox both dominate as they always do and both make the playoffs, and one of them takes that wild card spot. Now, say say the Blue Jays have a or say the Rays for example, which has happened the past few years, have a great year and they end up with a better record than the division winner from, say, the a AL Central. Say the AL Central is won by the Twins, they only get 90 wins, but the Rays have 91 and they come in third place. Why is it fair that the Rays don't make the playoffs? But shouldn't it be? They, they have a better record. But at the same time, there shouldn't every division be represented. I understand that, but if you're Tampa Bay, then you just got to find a way for you to finish on top, you know what I mean? Right. Like, this is it's a competition at the end of the day, so, like, I feel that every division should be represented. If you're going to have divisions, they have to be represented, each every one of them. It's like an all-star game. You try to make sure that every team has a player in there somehow. But I don't know. I, if you're going to if you're going to keep divisions the way they are, then you might as well just. It, 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 it's not. It's probably not fair to a team like Tampa Bay, but they just got to find a way to finish first or second or win that wild card. I can see that, but I don't know. For, I I just feel like you know if if you're Tampa Bay and you finish better behind the Yankees and Red Sox, but better than everyone else in the American League, I, I feel like they should have a chance to get in. It's pretty else. clear that they would be a better team at that point. If they still had to face that kind of competition, two teams and still ended up with that dominant record, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like getting rid of divisions altogether, but it, I do like that the best records should be represented in the playoffs. And if you're in a division that's competitive, but you can't get enough wins, then sorry, but maybe you should have won more games and got in. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if they. I don't know if they, if they're gonna want to do that and just make sh like keep keep a whole group, a whole division out of the playoffs. You know, I don't think that's gonna be realistic at all. They would be yeah. getting rid of divisions altogether with this realignment plan. Okay. They would just have an American League and National League, and the top teams make it, and that's that. I guess it simplifies things. I mean, teams are still going to go out and try to win every game. It doesn't change that. All that it would yeah. change is that it, it seems a little more fair to me. I mean, if you win more games, you're the better team. Yeah, yeah I guess it would be, it'll be less. Yeah, that, that makes it a lot, a lot better sense. And also, then you would have a much more balanced schedule. You wouldn't have... The Rays wouldn't have to face the Yankees and Red Sox 19 times each because there's no divisions, so that, that wouldn't matter. So everyone would face everyone. You have the same difficulty in schedule. And at the end of the day, you have more wins, you get in, you represent your league, and you try to try to make it. Most of the time it would work out to be the same. But there what, do are, mean, what do you mean the same? Well, I mean, there's, it's not that often that a third-place team would be better than a first-place team anyway. Most years, that's just not going to occur. But for the random, you know, one in five years that the Rays really do finish ahead of another first-place division, it's definitely unfair for them. I would feel if I was a member of the Rays and we had 91 wins and the Twins had 90 and they get in and say they win the World Series, I would just feel so gypped. I would feel like I should have been there. But at the same time, once you reach that, once you reach the playoffs and you happen to win, then obviously you face that competition and you deserve what you got. True. True. Yeah. It's not to say that that team that gets left out of the playoffs couldn't win the World Series. I guess that I made a wrong point there, but I understand as, what you're saying. But yeah, I just don't think it would actually. A lot of teams would wouldn't would have a problem with that. Maybe probably the 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 the, the teams that that consistently finish on top, I think would have a problem with that. Because well, I don't I don't think I don't think the Yankees want Tampa Bay and Boston in the playoffs. Competition wise, everybody feel like they could beat anybody, but I don't think they'd want that. It, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't serve the Yankees at any purpose for, for that to be the case, you know what I mean? I guess that's true, but it's not really their choice. If they're making the playoffs anyway, then they're already in, and if they're going to be the one or two spot, then it doesn't matter who else makes it, really. But, yeah, I guess you're right about that. They don't want to see the, yeah. they don't want to have to face the Rays and the Red Sox again in the playoffs. But it's also better than not, not making the playoffs because the Red Sox and Tampa Bay are in first and second place, you know? Right, right. So they'd still rather win. I mean, yeah. what if they're in that? If they're in that third spot, then they're going to be crying that they should have made it. So anyone that's in that position yeah, is always going to want to be in, and anyone's in the first place division position thinks they should be in. But that would all go away if there's no divisions anyway. People would forget about what the divisions were, and they would move on to just trying to capture one of those top five or six spots, whatever they want to do. So it it would shift, yeah. but the best teams would still be in. Yeah, I mean, the best always rise to the top, I guess, so. Right. I mean, not that it's irrelevant, but I think you're right. And no matter what, the team that wins the World Series should have been there, and they got it done no matter what happened. However they got in, they got in, and they got yeah. it all done. So I don't think you can discredit anyone as far as that, but it's going to make for some interesting arguments for sure. So to move on a little bit, what, what do you guys think of the Red Sox and Yankees race this year in the AL East? I mean, it, it's a two-dog race in the AL East, no doubt, and both of these teams have already locked a playoff spot. But who do you think will come out on top for the division? I mean, I'm a Yankee fan all the way, and I really can't stand the Red Sox, so I have to go with the Yankees, although the series so far hasn't really shown me that they're better. I guess the Red Sox are a better team right now, but 
I think they'll yeah. falter later on in the season. I think the Yankees will find a way to get on top. But uh, I don't know. I have that bias, so I can't really say. Who knows? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan as well, but uh, I just feel like the Red Sox are too dominant. I mean, they're hitting – their pitching is pretty good too. I mean, I feel the – feel like the Yankees have the talent to make the playoffs, but the question is whether they're going to be able to beat the Red Sox. I just think you know, I just think they peaked so early, the Red Sox, and the Yankees are not fully there yet because um, I don't think A-Rod has hit fully yet. And I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of concerns with the pitching right now. So I don't know. Like, I think the Yankees could pull it out, but at the same time, I wouldn't count out um, Tampa Bay either because I think they're, they're a couple games back. So it's going to be tough down the stretch. I'm just not sure if I would put all – put it all on the, on the Red Sox to win the, the division right now. Right. Well, I'm with you guys for sure. I'm a Yankee fan my whole life, but at the same time, I'm, I'm pretty realistic in knowing that the Red Sox have the better team right now. There's no question about that. I mean, Adrian Gonzalez is the best hitter in the league. He's been unbelievable in Fenway, and there's no signs of him slowing down. I mean, Crawford has heated up. He's going to be an integral uh, part of that team, especially come playoff time. He can run. He can hit the field. And... Like you said, their pitching is good, too. They don't really have very many weaknesses, whereas the Yankees, I, I see some question marks there. I mean, Jeter, who knows what's going on with Jeter. I love him, and come playoff time, I think he'll he'll work it all out, and he'll be okay. And they do- definitely have a dominant lineup, but Swisher has struggled. I mean, Gardner, no one knows what, what's going on with him. Will he, will he stay hot? Will he go back cold? He's, he's very on and off. Their bench is a little weak. I don't know about Andrew Jones or what he's been doing, but... But really, the question marks come from the pitching staff. Sabathia is good. He's a lock at the top. Burnett is on and off. No matter what he does, he can't stay consistent. But after that, I mean, where do you even turn? Hopefully, Phil Hughes can come back and dominate. But if he can't, who's going to even be the third starter? The thing with the Yankees, as much as I, I want to believe that they can continue to, to stay afloat, they've been getting so much help from so many different guys that you don't really accept. The team is being... Um, it's kind of like that they're, uh, they're winning by committee right now. They're not. They don't have one dominant guy or one or two dominant guys in the lineup. It's just one day it might be this guy, one day it might be that guy. I don't know how long that can continue. They're gonna need one of their big guys to start getting hot pretty soon, and hopefully that can carry them down the stretch. But right now, it's just Red Sox are just completely on fire right now, on all cylinders. So I don't know. You could also take it the other way and say that the Yankees have struggled so far, but even with their struggles, they're still only what a game and a half back of the Red Sox now. So even so, imagine what they could do if they do finally get up to speed, and maybe that's a big if. They're they're a scary lineup already, and if they could say they bring in a pitcher through trading, I mean they have a couple of chips they can trade. The catching prospect Montero, they're going to try to move him, and say they bring in a top flight pitcher, and then they have three solid pitchers with maybe a fourth, and that bullpen is already solid. Even though Jabba and Soriano went down, it's still one of the best bullpens in the league. They could be they could be good enough to get there. But the thing is, I think people do, people kind of forget. I understand that that the Yankees are right there, but you got to remember the Red Sox basically gave the Yankees and everybody else a head start. You know, they didn't do anything. They were like one in eleven, one in twelve in the beginning of the season. Right. And they just reeled off how many wins now. So it's it's like they were in a big hole too. Yeah, yeah, they were in a completely big hole. So people were counting them out already, and they they managed to find a way back and actually lead the division right now. So they gave the Yankees a head start. And they've managed to catch up. So what, what, what could we say now? You know what I mean? They're the Miami Heat. <laughs> and if you look two, three years down the road, I mean, the Red Sox age is a lot younger. The Yankees are have a lot of veteran players who. I think yeah. The future is almost more worrisome for Yankees fans than uh, than the. 
presently. I can't say I worry about the Yankees either. I mean, the, you know what they'll do. They'll go out and they'll buy some young talent if they have to, or they'll, or they'll grow some. I mean, they have a good farm system. But either yeah, way, yeah. I can't say they'll ever end up irrelevant, either of these teams. Yeah, I don't see that. I think they spend too much money. Uh, this might be the year that the Red Sox, the Red Sox should win the division, barring a colossal meltdown. The Yankees should make the playoffs, and hopefully they meet up again in the AL in the ALCS. But it's too early to say what will happen. But as of right now, it looks like the Red Sox are owning the Yankees. The Yankees can't even beat them. Tampa Bay has surprisingly been pretty good too. I mean, they with all the players they got rid of last year. I mean, yeah, come around. Yeah, Soriano's gone, Pena's gone. They, they lost a lot of guys, but Madden somehow finds a way to make that team win. That's a good pitching for staff down there with Price. For some reason, they just, they, just, they just keep bringing out young talent for some reason. I don't know, I don't know where they're getting all these guys. They make but everything work. Yeah, they have a lot of – their farm system is just pretty, pretty good. I mean, their closer is Kyle Farnsworth. Think about that. I remember the days he was on the Yankees, and he was brutal. I hated yeah. when he would try it out from the bullpen. And they're still yeah. winning games with him. So, yeah, they, they'll be right there. They'll make a run, but I just can't see them overtaking either the Red Sox or the Yankees this year. Yeah, but I expect, the, I expect Boston to kind of slow down a little bit. That pace is not – they can't sustain it, I don't think. Shifting to the NL, what, what do you think the Mets are going to do? I, I mean, who knows what they can do at this point, but where do, where do you see Reyes – where do you see that story ending up? Um, Reyes will probably be not – well, most likely he won't be a Met next season. I don't see that happening, especially after uh, the way the owner, the owner got at him in the beginning of the season. But at the same time, though, I think people will be a little bit more cautious because because of the fact that he hasn't really done this. He knows this is a contract season, so he's basically overachieving right now. I don't think, I don't think a lot of teams will take that chance, expecting him to continue doing what he's doing right now. True, but at the same time, you know there's going to be some team out there that's going to throw a lot of money at him for a long contract, and the Mets aren't going to be able to match that. No. Someone will be able to pay him. I, I can't say it's going to be one of the top teams, but someone's ready to open up the checkbook for Reyes, the way he's playing now. I actually already heard that the Yankees are the front runner, which they always are for the top free agents, but I don't know if that's going to be the case, but who knows. Yeah, I just I, I can't see that happening only because that would mean either Jeter has to move to the outfield, which I'm still not sold on. They want him to play shortstop, I think. And no, I they can't think, play Reyes. I mean, Reyes is a great defender. They would need to put him at shortstop if they were to get him. I just can't see that really working out. As much as I'm a uh, Yankee fan and a Jeter fan, at some point you just got to know when to say it's like it's over with, basically. The, the guy can't play shortstop. Probably next yeah. season he won't be able to play shortstop. you got to find a new uh, young talent. And since you don't have one in your farm system, if you get a chance to get somebody like, like Reyes, you got to jump at the chance. I mean, I love Jeter as much as the next guy, but like let's be realistic. He has maybe a good – even this, this season he's not doing as good. You might have another good one or two season left, right. so you might you might need to look in that direction. Well, they have uh, they have Nunez, who's pretty good at short, but yeah, he's no Reyes, that's for sure. And I I can't say I would be surprised if they threw a lot of money at Reyes and told him, here you play short, Jeter, you move to left, and you know we'll see what happens. But that that means they have to get rid of either Swisher or Gardner, and the way Swisher's playing right now, he might be playing his way out of New York anyway. But yeah. I mean, the Red Sox will be another another team that might uh, that might go for him. And also, we could start talking about teams renting him for the end of this year. I mean, if the Mets fall out of the race, which nobody would really be surprised. Yeah, definitely. I mean, teams might want a Cliff Lee situation. He went to the Mariners, and they tried to rent him. It didn't work out. And then he went back to the Phillies. So 
I mean, it could ha it could happen with Reyes that they they make a trade, they get rid of him, they get some talent back. The Mets try to rebuild a little bit around right, and he moves. Say say the Red Sox get him for half a year, and what if they win a championship? You know, they might want to re-sign him at that point. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. No, I wouldn't either. The Red Sox do. Red Sox don't really have a lot of. A great shortstop right now. I mean, yeah, not at all. I mean, Scudero and Lowry are kind of platooning there, and neither of those guys are dominant. The only, per se. The only problem with the idea of Reyes going to the to the Yankees or anybody else being traded to the Yankees is the fact that the Yankees don't really have anybody to trade. I mean, who are they going to yeah. give away for for Reyes, especially? So I don't know. They they might want to be in the running in terms of money because they have the money, but in terms of everything else, they won't be able to have the talent to trade. Yeah, I think it's more likely that the Yankees pick up someone like Beltron from the Mets to to play DH for the rest of the year than them going after Reyes and trying to replace Jeter just yet because that's just a, a sensitive situation with Jeter. You don't want to do it too early, but it is looking like he's going to have to move at some point. But would you really want Beltron though? Well, he's he's really hitting the ball well this year. He's probably lost a step from what he used to be, but he, at one point he was probably the best center fielder in the game. Oh yeah, when the when the the Mets decided to sign him, he definitely was. Oh yeah, yeah, he deserved the money he got for sure. And he had a horrific knee injury and missed a lot of time. But I think as of right now, he leads the National League in doubles. He's having a great year, a ton of RBIs on a on a pretty mediocre Mets hitting team. And he could yeah, do some damage in Yankee Stadium as a lefty. He could put some home runs out there. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly why I don't want to. I, I don't want to bash the Mets for the moves they did to get to this point because they did sign. They went after Johan Santana. They went after Beltran, Delgado when he was later in his career. They tried to put a team together, and they did some good moves that everybody thought was going to work out. Injuries just got in the way, you know. I mean, you you can't always just assume that your uh, your acquisitions are going to lead you to a World Series. They got deep into the playoffs a couple of those years, and they couldn't get it done. But then yeah, what happened with the Bernie Madoff stuff, and right now they're just in a terrible situation, and they need to figure out how to get out of it. Yeah. So I think moving Reyes might be the beginning of what's to happen. I mean, this is the prototypical thing. In a contract year, your guy that you think isn't going to re-sign is playing MVP baseball. I mean, if you go by the book, it's time to move him. <laughs> and, and if you can get something solid in return, even some young, good prospects and talent to start rebuilding around David Wright and some of these guys, Angel Pagan and, you know, Turner's looking good for them, maybe maybe now is when you, uh, when you decide, all right, it's time, this team isn't going to get it done, and we need to make a move. They don't want to lose Reyes. They don't want to have a LeBron Cavs situation where they think he might resign and they have this false hope and then he goes yeah. and they get nothing out of it. Yeah, they got to give it to him right now while they have the chance. Cause what they, yeah, they, I they doubt they think they're going to win. I mean, he's having an unbelievable year for sure. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. I actually forgot about Reyes for a while. I mean, he's you turn around like and he hits a triple every other game. It's unreal. Isn't he hitting like 328? Yeah, he, think, he's scoring runs, stealing bases, extra base yeah. hits all over the place. I mean, he hasn't put the ball out of the park, but he's not expected to, especially playing in City Field. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't have to put the ball out of the park to be a valuable player, you know. Oh, no, especially not. With Reyes' speed, he'll be a valuable player forever, and he's a borderline gold glove candidate. He's a great fielder. I mean, he makes a lot of errors, but he, he can really play shortstop. Yeah, and the, the fact that another thing, I, I don't see why, I don't understand why Jeter's still winning gold gloves. <laughs> like, I think he's giving it to him because he's Jeter, but at some point, yeah. like, the guy is not playing to the level where he deserves gold gloves, and I think a lot oh, of people well. in the in the, in the majors that realize it too. And that's why Jeter's always being labeled the most overrated player in baseball because media loves him.
but the players themselves know he's not as good as he once was. I agree with that, but it's kind of the same reason Yao Ming is still winning All-Star games, even even though he doesn't even see the court. I mean, yeah. if you have such a reputation, it's going to precede you. So, yeah, he probably doesn't deserve it, but everybody knows that. And then when he retires, looking back, everyone will just say he had this many gold gloves, he was a great player, and I, I feel like everyone will kind of just forget about the years that he didn't really deserve it, but he got it anyway. So let's move away from baseball for a little bit and talk about football. And this week, we, we had already covered uh, defensive players and quarterbacks. So this week, we'll go on to the power rankings for running backs on ESPN. This is a tough category because every year, it seems like there's a new running back that just comes out and dominates. And, and we're like, who, where was this guy all, all our lives? And he runs like, like you've never seen. And then two years later, he's off the map altogether. So running backs yeah. are really an interesting situation. And I actually, I actually, I actually like the list. Except for maybe, um, matter of fact, I, I, I like the list a lot. I don't, I don't have that much of a problem with it, maybe except for the fact that I think Steven Jackson might belong higher on this list. I don't know, maybe ahead of Arian Foster, because I don't see why Arian Foster, I understand he led the league last year, but I just don't know, like, I guess we're, like, we're prisoners of the, of the moment, I guess, considering what he did last last season. Right. I, don't, I don't think he belongs that high on the list. Yeah, well... Well, for the people that, that are listening, I mean, it's obvious that number one and two, Chris Johnson came in at number one, one point above Adrian Peterson. Those two are pretty interchangeable. Johnson's a little more electric, but they're, they're far and away the number one and twos. Tied at third was Maurice Jones-Drew of the Jaguars and Foster, like you said. And that, that is a little surprising because he's only had one great year. But... It was a great, great year. So moving forward, like we said, I mean, sometimes one good year can propel a running back to being one of the greats, and sometimes he'll fall off the next year and you'll never hear about him again. But yeah. number, coming in at number five was Jamal Charles. Six is Turner. Seven is Steven Jackson. Then we got Ray Rice, Richard Mendenhall, and a three-way tie to out, round out the list between Frank Gore, LaShawn McCoy, and Darren McFadden. Yeah, I think there's like three players on the list that can move. I think Steven Jackson, Ray Rice, and Richard Mendenhall might be moved out. Maybe that's the thing. I mean, there are a lot of good running backs in this league. That's I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised one on one 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 of the people voting actually put put um Jamal Charles over what is it Adrian Peterson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're put, right about that. He actually put Jamal Charles second on that list. I'm kind of surprised about that. As much as I think he's good. I think that the body of work that Chris Johnson and Adrian Peterson have, you can't really take them out of that that those top two spots, you know. Uh, yeah, as much as I would it, love to. To me, it seems like he's just trying to make a fancy pick there. I mean, if you if you're starting a team, don't dare tell me that you would take Jamal Charles over Adrian Peterson to start a team. It just doesn't make any sense. Not not yeah, to take anything good. away from Charles. He's a great back, and he had a monstrous monstrous year last year. I mean, he put up 1,467 yards. He only scored five touchdowns, but he split carries with Thomas Jones. And I also and think he had a problem with fumbles. I'm not sure. Like, I think he had a couple, couple fumbles last season. So. Yeah, that, I mean that that's a problem that happens with young running backs, and it could be turned around. But regardless, Peterson has a fumbling problem too. But that can be changed. I mean, you're looking more at what they can do, because neither of them have a horrible fumble problem. That's to yeah, the point I mean, where that... they can't be a star back. As you said, that can be changed. I mean, you look at Tiki Barber when he had that year, he fumbled like, you know, he had a bad fumbling problem, and the next year he yeah. seemed to hold on to the ball pretty well. But, at, I mean, there's no way. Peterson comes in above Charles, and that's the bottom line. Maybe moving forward, Charles could have a couple better seasons. I'm not saying he couldn't, but as of right now, 
nobody in their right mind would take Charles first. It just doesn't make sense to me. Is is a little crazy for me. I I just can't understand. LaShawn McCoy, he's pretty good, but one of the guys had him ranked fifth. Yeah, that's and, a little too high. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's really high to me. I, he's putting him above Michael Turner, Ray Rice. That's just a little, that's just weird to me. I, he's good, I mean, but he he seems like more of a pass catching back than a real runner. He reminds me more of a the guy he replaced basically. You might he's a, he's a little bit more like Westbrook himself. Yeah. So he the smaller, quicker guys that catch out the backfield, something like that. So I guess he's, he's a little more explosive. Yeah. He might, that might be the reason why he's on that list, but or even fifth on that list in his perspective. But I don't see why he belongs that high at all. I think Frank Gore might need to be higher. He plays on the Niners, so he doesn't get a lot of he doesn't get a lot of TV time, and he doesn't play on a team that's really going to make the playoffs. But anytime I watch yeah. that guy run, he's got it all. He can do anything. Yeah, that's two guys I think that belong high on this list. It's probably um, Frank Gore and Steven Jackson. I think you got to reward players that play on bad lines like Steven Jackson does. Steven Jackson right. has no help. Yeah, and aside this, from last season, it doesn't seem to. T- I don't think it. I don't know if it takes into account the team they play on, but but if you manage to put over uh, 1,100 yards every season, you know what I mean, banged up, 1,100 yards around every season on a team like the Rams, where you where you know they're loading the boxes, they're load, loading the box. A team like I mean, a, a player like Arian Foster, you could break up because nobody's ever seen you before. Nobody knows what you do, and the fact yeah. that you play for the fact that you play for for Houston, well, you know they're gonna throw the ball a, a whole lot of times. It it kind of opens it up for you a little bit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But Steven Jackson, like when a team you know you gotta run the ball because that's all you have. Adrian Peterson, players like that, Chris Johnson, they 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 deserve more respect than they do get. All right, because they're gonna get beat up. There's gonna be tons of linebackers in that box waiting for them to run the ball, and they're gonna exactly. fill every gap. And somehow you're probably gonna have to run a few guys over to get into the secondary. And I'm surprised yeah, I, that Matt Forte is not on this list either. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, but he's he's kind of up and down. Uh, last year, he he had a pretty good year, over a 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. But he didn't get the ball as much as a lot of other guys did. When, once they got Cutler, they kind of fell in love with the pass. If they could get a chemistry together, the Bears could be pretty good. And Forte, I could see him next season being back on this list. So what do you what do you guys feel about um, Darren McFadden? Do you think he belongs there? Ah, it's so hard to say. He plays on the Raiders. I mean, come on. Uh, who knows anything about the Raiders aside <laughs> from Namdi Asamoah? But I know he had a good year last yeah. year. Compared I haven't to seen him play. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen him play a lot. So he had almost 1,200 yards last year with seven touchdowns, a 5.2 yards per carry average, which is, you know, that's almost tops in the league. So yeah, and I think he missed a couple games to do the injury. Yeah, it's true. And coming out of college, he was. I think what hurts him is that coming out of college, he was so highly touted that people thought right away he would dominate. Yeah. And you got to forgive him for taking a little bit of time, especially on the Raiders. That the line isn't anything to be spoken about quite yet, uh, and how long is it? Is it every every year we talk about the the line getting better for the team? It never does. Ever since the year they drafted Robert Gallery, just like you expected it to get better, but it never does. So I'm not expecting yeah. anything different from this team. Yeah, you're right, and they don't have a quarterback that can open up the field at all. Just like the same way you were talking about Stephen Jackson, who finally got yeah. help in Sam Bradford last year. Darren McFadden is patiently waiting for that quarterback to come in and open up the field for him. Because I think he could be a dominant running back, but I don't know about that. What I really don't get is how Peyton Hillis isn't on the list. Yeah, I don't think he belongs on that list. I'm not a big Peyton Hillis fan. I like him a lot. I'm a big fan of his. I don't know why, but, I mean, last year, 
he played pretty well. He's a. I think people love the fact that he's a hard worker and he's just a tough, tough, tough old school type of running back. You know, right. and I think they love that about him. You know, maybe in the mold of maybe like somebody like Michael Allstott a little bit. You know what I mean? So right. I guess they, that's that's what they're looking for and they want to reward him for that. And you don't expect him to be able to run the way he does. But being a good running back, I think I don't think so. I understand he didn't play on a great team where you have to be like, well, he had a lot of help either. So you gotta you gotta reward him for what he did. I guess that's why he got the Madden cover, but. Aside from that, I don't think he belongs on the top list. He did have 11 touchdowns, and he's strong as can be, so he can get the ball in the end zone, which says something in itself. Maybe he's not an explosive guy who's going to get 50-yard runs, but he, like you said, he's old school. He, he's ready to hit the hole no matter who's there. He can run people over. I saw him hurdle a bunch of people last year. He's just exciting to watch, it seems like. Maybe he's better to watch than he is as a player. Yeah. And and now is almost his coming out party, and it seems like maybe moving forward to next year, if he can build on that with the tools that he already has and his size and speed, I could see him being one of the better backs in the league. I'm not saying he will, but I'm saying he could be. I mean, one thing I had to think about when it comes to Peyton is, I'm not sure, but how long has he been in the league? Not that long. This is, it was his fourth season. Yeah, and I think after you've been in the league for a couple of years and you haven't done exactly that, I think it takes a little bit away from it. You know what I mean? But he came over from he came over from the Broncos. I think he was in the Brady Quinn trade. Okay. And on the Broncos, he never really got an opportunity as much as he did on the Browns. They brought him in to be the the, the guy. But would you put a so, guy who's been in the league for four years and finally has a breakout year at the at the top of your at the top ten of your list? You know what I mean? Like I think you have to show a pattern a little bit more, and you have right. to show some kind of some kind of potential. I think that's 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 why I put on my list if I were putting the list. Well, Arian Foster's in his third season, and people are putting him at third on the list, even though he, I mean, to me, they're almost similar. Their stories, yeah. the way they play. Yeah, and, that's why I don't think I would play either one of them uh, so far. Right, so high okay, on the list. Well, well, that's consistent at least. But I don't know, I, I, the way I'm saying it, if one is there, the other has to be there. That's all I mean. To have yeah. such a large discrepancy between third place and not on the list between those two running backs, to me, is kind of a mistake. But I guess I, maybe they're just looking at it in terms of running style. You know, I guess they, they were ordering the more flashier guy, maybe. I don't know. Well, Foster did lead the league in yards and yeah. touchdowns. I mean, he had an unbelievable year. No question. Yeah, you, can't, you can't take that away from him, I guess. No way. And I am very excited to see what the Texans can do moving forward with that passing attack. Their offense is insane. I mean, it can be, it can be really balanced next year if Foster has another good year. That's another team that teases you a little bit too much. You expect them to take over yeah. to take to take over the cold spot every year, but they never do. So, well, this year they brought in Wade Phillips to be the defensive coordinator. If he could turn things around on the defensive end, they they might be able to finish ahead of the Colts in that division. I could say that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised considering what's happening to pay to, to pay in this off season. If the Colts have a down year, they this might be their year to move forward. I hope not, because I'm still a paying fan. But <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing them both in the playoffs, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, it's probably just gonna be one of the one of those two, but who knows? Yeah, you're gonna have to win that division to get out. But it it, it kind of rides on Arian Foster if he can op- if he can make teams defend the run, then Schaub and Andre Johnson are gonna have a field day in one on one coverage. But the same thing goes the other way around. I mean, if he's getting Johnson the ball and they have to back up, Foster will be able to cut you up, and no, that's gonna be a nightmare for up- opposing uh, defensive coordinators. I, I'm learning to not take away so much credit from a person that has help. Yeah, kind of. I'm used to the I'm used to the idea that if you have that much help, then it, it shouldn't be that that difficult for you to succeed. You know what I mean? But right. 
Yeah, it's part of the game. So you can't really say that because the fact that 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 somebody might might have a lot of a lot of help doesn't mean that it was easy for them to do what they do. It's still hard. It's still the NFL. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. So, so I guess I guess I, I should stop taking away credit from because I used to give somebody maybe somebody like Adrian Peterson. I give more credit because he has less of a passing game. But I guess you can't really look at it that way. It's about who produces. Yeah, at the end of the day, some people have more yards and some people have less. Yeah, and so you can't really do that. I mean, if your team's winning and you're leading them to victory. Regardless of how you do it, it, it works out. I mean, Chris Johnson has no real passing game, but somehow he still ends up number one on this list almost unanimously. So, and that I mean, shows you how great he is. Exactly, I agree. And there's no reason he shouldn't be number one on this list. I just hope he that needs, he can he can match what he's done. Yeah, he needs to stop talking about those 2,500 yard seasons he wants to do. I don't think that's yeah. more. That's probably that's probably not going to happen. But he, it's I mean, pretty unrealistic in today's NFL. Because I mean, they, they, they want to split carries. They want to make sure their running backs last throughout the games. If you're trying to get to 2,500 yards, there's a good chance you're going to get run down by the end of the year. I mean, the guy did have 2,000 yards, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to just, um, just well, he not can do discredit it. everything he says. Yeah, he, he's capable of doing it, but I think, uh, I don't know how old he is now. What, was 25, 26? So it might be around that time. If he's going to do it, I guess it might be around this time. Because he did have 2,000 yards, so he's capable of doing it. Yeah, but running backs surely have a really short window to be great, unless you're one of the, the really elite, elite players. Yeah, I think we noticed that with, with a player like LaDamian Thomas, who finished 15 on this list. I mean, he kind of just kind of went went down pretty fast, you know. He did, but he had a productive year last year. Yeah, he, he was productive. I'm not going to say he didn't do anything. He, he, was productive. he had 914 yards, and he, he definitely was splitting carries. He wasn't even starting games. So, that is true. So he's still got it, but he, yeah, like you said, he's on the older end of his, he's on, toward the end of his career. And if he can still do that, I'm not saying he should be top ten on this list by any means, because he shouldn't. But he, he's still, he's still a good back. I mean, if I'm the Jets, I'd definitely bring him back, but who knows oh, yeah. how that's going to work with, considering the other running back like they have. Yeah, I mean, him and Sean Green could be a, could be a solid combo for at yeah. least another year. The only problem I have with that is you can't have. You can't have two backs that basically do the same thing run inside. They're big. You need a speed back to complement a uh, power back like Green. And Thomas is not a speed back anymore. Not anymore, yeah. You're right about that. And then I, don't know how I, heard, uh, I heard an interview with Green saying that they're, they're trying to turn him into a much more of a north-south runner. Try to, oh, okay. you know, he's pretty big, and he can run people over, and they want him to do that. So yes, maybe they're thinking if they give Tomlinson some rest, he could be somewhat of a speed back, but that, that might be a that might just be a dream. Hopefully it works for all for all of us Jets fans. Yeah, yeah, you're telling me. I mean <laughs> they could play well together, I'm hoping. And Tomlinson can basically do whatever he wants. He's such a good veteran that he can do anything. And he can still get into the end zone for sure. I mean he had that one year where he scored over twenty touchdowns. There's no doubt that he, he's gonna year. be able to produce. But no, not his his time of being on this kind of list is way past him. Yeah, but all in all, I think this list is pretty. It's pretty accurate. Definitely, I, I think. I just think every right year, now. every year, a running back list is going to change a lot. And next year, we could be looking back at this list like, wow, I remember, you know, when he was when he should have been on this list, but no way anymore. And then you'll have, I'm sure you'll have a new guy. I mean, I mean say uh, say next year, Legarrette Blunt. I mean, he had over a thousand yards this year. I could see him moving up being a full-time okay. starter, and what if he puts up 1,500 yards next year, and he could be number three on this list the same way Foster is. And there's so many factors that go into it. You, I know, mean, that like guy. you get injured, you could have a down year, you could have an up year, so, you know, you know it, all change, it all changes. 
I, I mean, one one person I'm putting my money on right now is probably D'Angelo. I think the fact I think he might be the best one back in this, this league, in my opinion. So uh, I think next year will be his year, depending on how things work, whether he leaves and goes to another team. So. Yeah, he's. I think they're going to end up moving him. It's sad that he's not on this list because of the injuries he's had. But uh, but as far as talent goes, he easily could be top five. Like you said, he might be one of the best. And put him yeah, on a team I mean. that has a solid line and then any offense at all. I mean, the Panthers are just brutal. And put him somewhere where he can compete and play hard day in and day out. He's going to be a dangerous back in the league, Phil. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, well, that's all we have for this week, and keep coming back and tune in next week.